Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Luca Gangaras, a product specialist at UserSnap. In this episode, Luca shares an overview of the framework UserSnap used to increase retention, how they collected feedback to diagnose their challenges, and prioritize what to tackle first. We then discussed how UserSnap reduced churn by expanding the use cases of their product, and we wrapped up by discussing how the team used OKRs to align and focus their attention on churn. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael. And here's today's episode. Hey, Luca, welcome to the show. Hi, Andrew. It's nice to have you. And to have me or for me to have you, but uh, it's great to <laughs> have you. Uh, for the listeners, uh, Luca is a product specialist at UserSnap, a customer feedback platform for SaaS businesses. Luca and the UserSnap team have recently made a significant increase in customer attention. And Luca is here today to share their approach the team adopted that led to the successful outcome. Prior to UserSnap, Luca was a marketing and sales manager at LogHub, and he is also now a co-founder of a startup in Stealth. So my first question for you, Luke, is what does your new startup do? All right. <laughs> Thanks, Sergio. That, that's a tricky question. So what, um, what the startup do is called Passful, and it's a global membership uh, for all the remote workers who, you know, prefer working from restaurants, from coffee shops or, ho- or hotels. So what we do is that we give them one membership that allows them to, you know, enjoy discounts and access networking events and basically their favorite places across the world. Okay, very interesting. And you've just got started now with it. You just launched it apparently because on LinkedIn, it wasn't stealth. And that's why I was wondering if you can answer that question or not. But uh, so it's out, uh, you're starting to push it? Yes, exactly. So we launched the MEP. We we already uh, introduced it to a few restaurants. And now we'll do that until September. And from September, we'll focus on bringing uh, users. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Are you focusing on these specific demographics and territories first? What's uh, the yes. go-to-market? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so because we are based in Europe, uh, we'll focus on the DAC region first. Okay. And for like mainly, like we'll focus on Austria and Germany. And from there, we'll move, hopefully, <laughs> we'll move to the U.S. Okay. 
Very nice. Well, I wish you best of luck uh, with that now and um, this new startup journey that you've started. The thing today we're going to chat about is a little bit about UserSnap and what the team has been doing there. Can you just give us a quick like overview of what UserSnap is and what the company does? Yeah, of course. So UserSnap is a customer feedback platform that allows you, that allows companies to kind of collect feedback within the whole product development lifecycle. So our kind of vision is to help companies build products that, that actually bring value to their users and to avoid failures. So we do have the feedback uh, widget that they install on the website and they, they allow their users basically to share their feedback uh, whenever they want. Cool. And we had this discussion as well before that your team reached out as well. You've had some really good increases in customer attention mm-hmm. lately. Um, you had a, an approach like, Maybe let's get started. Can you just give like a high level overview of uh, what the team has been working on and what you've been doing to try and increase uh, retention? Yeah, of course. So for us, basically, it all started back in 2020. Um, I mean, I joined also the company around that period. And we saw that our monthly churn rate was around, uh, yeah, it was around 7%. But then over time, uh, when we wanted to improve something on it, uh, we, we kind of realized that we have no clue on what to do because we did not know what you know, our users say to us, why they leave, etc. And that's when we thought about this whole strategy. Uh, and that's when we introduced a strategy uh, that, that's called AASK. So the first thing is that what we did is that we improved the whole ask part in the churn uh, process. Then after that, we did, we did act on the feedback. And of course, um, after that is all about the prevention. So if you want, we can also go through each stages uh, of that right away. That's yeah, let's do that. It's quite a ironic though as well for a feedback company not to know the reasons for churn as well, but it's good that you realized that and started implementing that into it. Uh, so yeah, so let's talk through the first phase you mentioned is like ask, and I'm assuming that's just really trying to understand and diagnose the problem. Like how did you go about then figuring this out? What was the steps that you did to do so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. so for us, uh, we basically did it in two ways. Uh, one, and the first one was about asking the customers for the churning reasons uh, during the churning process. So, for example, you know, if you have your premium LinkedIn account, uh, or I would say most of SaaS uh, tools now as well. Uh, so, when you want to cancel your and disable your account, uh, they show you a pop-up asking for the reason why, why you're churning. And we did not have this in place before that. And once you introduced it, it really helped us a lot because we could also based on that follow up with the users, depending on the reason they selected. And the second way we did ask for feedback was by scheduling interviews with churn customers to find out these reasons. Um, the thing with this step is you really, and what we, what show us kind of the most success was that we, you really need to play with the templates, email templates that you use to invite them for an interview. Uh, I think we experimented with a few of them, like five or six of them until we found uh, the best uh, the best template to use there. Cool. So let's go back uh, starting as well, first of all, the churn exit survey. So I think even this is something, as you said, is very, very common. I even see now recently like Stripe has this built into their uh, subscriptions and billing uh, mm-hmm. set up so you can start to ask. But initially, how did you go about the survey itself? Was it open-ended? Or did you have specific uh, fields to select? What did your survey mm-hmm. look like? Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, so when it comes to the to the survey, uh, it was kind of drop down with six options. And then uh, what we like the last option was, of course, other where they could provide an open ended uh, answer. And what we did over time is that when we saw that, for example, they never selected one of the categories, we just remove that and then leave them kind of less choice. Because the less choice they have, uh, you know, the more kind of likely is that they will select one of the options. And then based on the category they send, uh, based on the kind of the churning reason they select, we ask them like why, why they uh, decided, you know, uh, like if they, for example, select exactly like difficult to use, what exactly was difficult to use. Cool. And from that, like, what were you then trying to understand? So you implemented this churn survey. You have, uh, let's say, like, call it two, three hundred sponsors now. Uh, what steps did you take from there? Yeah. So from there, uh, once we had kind of one, once we identified the trend on why they are churning, you know, if, for example, if it's too expensive or not. Uh, the second thing was to kind of act and to inform all our team members, all our colleagues about kind of the pain points, uh, you know, and, and that kind of driving force uh, behind our customers churning. So that was the next step, We're kind of presenting all the insights to the team. Um, we do have, uh, with every department, we do have like monthly check-ins where we present all the insights that we collected. And I, I cannot kind of thank enough to the whole team kind of to be open uh, when it comes to acting uh, on these insights. Uh, and because I think this was kind of the crucial step uh, in addressing this session. After, of course, after this part, uh, we kind of the shortest path success and try to reduce the churn uh, to try to find those low hanging fruits. So we kind of just offered incentives depending on the churn reasons. So if they select, you know, too expensive, we would show them a pop up saying, you know, here is like 50% discount in case you decide to stay with us. Mm-hmm. If they select, you know, we couldn't get a team buy-in, we say, okay, do you need more time? Do you need, you know, we can organize a training for you and your colleagues to get started. So, like, every single pop-up was really personalized uh, to that training reason. Yeah. It's interesting. So, you started then, like, with for trend deflection, which is, like, the first sort of thing that you yes. tried to focus on as opposed to uh, going to the root cause. The, the other thing is interesting, you mentioned that as well, like offering a discount when people go to churn for it's too expensive for the reason is like, this is one of the things that I'm still out on the jury about and trying to figure out, does it actually work or does it end up hurting the business in the long run? Because uh, I actually recently saw it was quite funny. Uh, it was a Slack group, like SaaS, data founders or whatever. Somebody posted in there, there were uh, something along the lines like, hey guys, if anybody wants a discount, uh, just go to cancel your subscription. I think it was on Zoom. And yeah. Zoom gives you a 50% but, discount. And then everyone's yes. like, haha, I do that as well. Uh, and there's yeah. like this whole long th- comment thread where people are actually mentioning this and they're like, oh, and by the way, this company does it, this company does it, this company does it. So I wonder, like, does uh, it end up hurting uh, yourself more than actually deferring churn uh, at the end of the day? Because on the other end of it as well, which is quite funny, is that like, you might have set up this campaign and you're going back to the team. You're like, oh, wow, look, we just like managed to deflect so much churn. But in actuality, what you end up doing was giving discounts to users. Uh, so mm-hmm. I, I, it's very difficult to measure this and to really understand the extent of, to which it's happening. But I just found it really ironic because I had a previous episode, we were discussing this topic and that same week I noticed uh, that this like up in a, in a group. What are your thoughts on it? Like how did you have any debate or discussion around it? 
Mm -hmm. So my thoughts, I mean, it's so nice that you mentioned this. So on the short term, uh, I, if you look at a short term, uh, kind of, if we do the discounts, I think it cannot hurt us that much. But uh, if we do not do anything on the feedback we collected, but just continue to, you know, to use the discounts, it's like the most, uh, most expensive, uh, kind of more expensive uh, tourism. Mm -hmm. I think that kind of, that will, uh, yeah, that will kind of have nothing but the negative effect on the business because yeah. what's also our idea behind it is you know by understanding their churning reasons this will all give us feedback eventually that we improve our pricing that we improve our product to add the features they use and then to create a pricing base really on the value they get mm -hmm. and by doing that we want to remove the step of offering discounts cool you mentioned and as well then yeah. sorry yeah. no no and hopefully have zero churn <laughs> yeah yeah uh, the holy grail net negative as uh, we need to yeah. get. So the the thing you mentioned as well then is you had like a monthly update or did I get that right where you would share the insights uh, from it? Like what did that format look like? How did that go? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So when it comes to the monthly uh, updates, our customer success team uh, share, I mean, this is like in general, they share the insights they collected with other departments. You know, including uh, the growth team, the product team, and the development team. So we have that sort of also creative seed uh, that we put into every meeting, where mm -hmm. we share, you know, some new insights that we, or let's say, some suggestions that we kind of came up with based on the feedback we collected. Yeah. So the great, the great uh, kind of outcome uh, was that you know, other than kind of having people uh, providing constructive feedback, uh, kind of challenging what we came up with. Uh, we really got some cool features out of it. So what we did is that we uh, we hired 24-7 uh, support team uh, just because we work, you know, we are from Austria, so we work uh, in the Central Eastern time zone and most of our customers are from the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this was one of the feedback they gave us. Like, you know, you're not there where we need help. And that's when we decided to open a 24-7 uh, customer support. Also, uh, we changed our pricing, uh, the pricing model, based on their feedback. Uh, and, and it's interesting that each one of these uh, ideas came kind of from different departments. Nice. Yeah. During, during these meetings. Yeah. I think one of those things all with uh, churn and pricing is that like you always want to have a certain percentage. I'm not sure what the feedback was there, but to definitely have like a good percentage of people complaining that pricing is too expensive uh, because if nobody complains, then your prices are too cheap on the opposite end. But uh, it's interesting. We did something similar as well. I think at Hot Show, obviously we had a churn exit survey and we we're using it for quite a while. But when COVID hit was when we really started to try and get things together. We put together like a churn dashboard and we we're using uh, Tableau at the time. Uh, so then we could actually model out uh, the survey responses and how they changed over time uh, on a month-to-month -month basis, what the reasons mm -hmm. were. And like you say, similar to we were using MPS in the fashion where we were collecting MPS with the team and then uh, sharing like some of the uh, protractors and detractors, we would do the same thing then for like reasons for churn and uh, how things are changing over time. I think this is really interesting as well, like to get a baseline for, because this is something that came up with an episode with Emmerich Ernal uh, from Aurora Pulse, where they also used these churn exit surveys as a measure of what churn they could actually fix when they were setting targets for how much they wanted to reduce by. Because like for small businesses, for example, uh, going out of business is not something that you're going to stop uh, yourself as user snap. That's like outside of your control. So 
trying to incorporate that in the goal that you set to reduce yeah. is no use. So if, if you understand what like the true churn is that's uh, avoidable versus unavoidable, uh, it allows you to get a greater clarity in like what you can actually do to improve the metric and the goals that you set for your team. Um, exactly. I like that. The next thing you mentioned then you did some user interviews and you experimented with some templates like, what sort of volume are we talking about? How many interviews do you conduct? Is this something you still do today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the interviews we still do today. However, uh, I mean, we operate based on the different OKRs, right? And then yeah, in the into each OKR, we have certain KRs that we want to focus on. And for example, in this quarter, uh, churn topic is not one of the topics that we want to handle. And that's why we do not give it that much priority. Having in mind that we are not, you know, a big company, we are 90 people, 20 people actually now, 20 people startup. Um, we kind of just put this whole project on hold, but in general, we are, you know, conduct, conducting the churning uh, interviews, uh, I would say, yeah, regularly. When it comes to the amount of a call, I think we did around uh, 20 or 30 interviews eventually. Cool. And, you know, and it's really like it's really good and that was also surprising to me because i always expected to kind of you know when we have the training uh, the churn interview that you expect that people are kind of angry or you know they are frustrated about something but in general most of the times they were kind of really f super friendly to share their feedback and to give you uh, suggestions on what to improve mm -hmm. and also uh, majority of these interviews were just about that their kind of project ended and that they love the tool and then they just give you a few suggestions for the future so that's why i'm super positive about that yeah i think the challenge as well especially with churn exit interviews is like the survivorship bias of those that actually agree to do it first those that don't and uh what you're going to be getting then uh because perhaps like the really pissed off people are too pissed off to even uh, give a shit about speaking to you yeah. so uh but yeah i think uh Doing them those stuff, you can learn a lot in that. And uh, for example, as you mentioned now, like the project has ended. I think that's definitely uh, something you would maybe see as one of your use cases on a specific persona. Uh, we actually similarly yeah. saw it at Hotjar uh, where you'd have a lot of agencies that were using the product and you had this periodic churn uh, where they would do a project, churn, come back, do a project, churn, come back. And it ended up ha having like an impact you could see on like the reactivation uh, metrics itself yes. and on activation. So um, it ended up being like a total net positive because it wasn't like really the customer was actually churning. Um, I'm not sure what they've done to try and figure that out now uh, nowadays, but I think there's definitely for a lot of companies this opportunity of figuring out this project-based flow and subscription uh, model. So yeah. you've one, conducted... One point to add here. Yeah. And one point to, to add here. Uh, sorry, just my dog is barking. No worries. Uh, yeah, working from home is terrible. Uh, and it's I'm amazing, terrible working. sometimes because of the dog. <laughs> yeah. the, what I wanted to point out was that, for example, what we did based on this feedback, I mean, we started as a bug tracking solution in the past. And the majority of kind of the churning reasons was about the kind of, you know, the, the, the project ended. And one, and that's why we also realized uh, that we need to access also another area. And that's when we shifted towards the customer experience because we wanted to make our product stickier. 
And, you know, now when it comes to the churning reasons, now we have other churning reasons. It, like, you know, the project ended is not anymore like the number one. Yeah. Because now if we have more departments using our software, that means that, you know, uh, the product will become stickier. They will not drop uh, drop out, you know, as soon as their project ends. So that was really also a learning lesson for us. Well, so it sounds like as well then you use like expanding the number of use cases for the product as uh, exactly. as a way to increase engagement for the tool. And then uh, what else did you try then? So you you said, okay, like this was a concert, like concerted effort across the board with the team. Uh, you did initial research, you then started with the low-hanging fruit, like churn deflection. You introduced and encouraged new use cases. Uh, what else did the team do uh, that you felt was really, really effective? So the other thing that, we, like two more things that we did based on the feedback. One is that we improved the whole user onboarding experience. Uh, so we had difficulties kind of bringing people to the value as, as fast as possible. Yeah. And that's also what we noticed. You know, if you even subscribe to the, to for example, to our product, and uh, you subscribe, but that does not mean that kind of, you know, your onboarding has stopped. We saw that many companies are kind of thinking of the onboarding as something, you know, as soon as the user signs up until the moment they purchase. But like that's covering just one part of it. You know, after they purchase, that still does not mean that they are fully onboarded. So what we did is that we improved kind of the activation metric. Um, we focused more on the retention and in general on people kind of experience the value out of it. And also on the other side, we improved the whole email flows uh, and like conversational and product bumpers. And we kind of created more educational content uh, for all our users right. to, in order to make them more successful. Yeah. The, the email flows is an interesting one. Like how effective did you find that? Mm -hmm. And so, did, did you measure the impact and performance over time? So when it comes to the emails, uh, I must say that product bumpers at right times, at right triggers, uh, are more kind of useful than the email flows. The email flows on average, uh, only like the welcoming email, it has like about like 50, 60% open rate. All other emails have around 30% open rate. And like we saw them as successful uh, but really, they did not drive, you know, that many. Uh, I mean, when we look at the results, when you look at the, you know, uh, kind of click, uh, you know, link, uh, click links and so on, mm. that did not improve drastically. But it, I mean, but it improved if you look yeah. at the previous days. So you were doing sort of like event-based messaging uh, through email, right? Yes. So if someone took an action, you'd send a message. If they didn't take an action, exactly. you'd send a message. Yeah. Um, th this one as well, like I want to hear some from some other listeners as well. So if you're listening, you have any great stories to talk about how uh, you use user onboarding effectively and specifically email. Uh, is because actually funny enough, like at Hotjar at some point, we originally launched with an onboarding sequence and then it didn't change for like the first two years. Nothing changed. And um, then at some point, somebody accidentally switched off all emails uh, and they weren't running for like three months. But the funny thing is like we saw absolutely no change in metrics like whatsoever. There was like no easy way to see like any sort of correlation or causation in anything uh, in the data. And that got me sort of thinking was like, okay, we spent so much time to try and get these email sequences together and to work Um 
do the actual work or is like people that are going to take the actions are going to take the actions anyway and there's just very, very small percentages that end up changing their behavior because they receive an email from a company. Um, but I'd love to hear like as well from other listeners if you have yourself as well some stories to share on this um, because definitely uh, like practically it makes sense in my mind and it's like, okay, yes, it's logical that if people don't take actions, we'll send them a message to prompt them. Uh, we can use other channels as well. So like one of the things we wanted to explore with was like, retargeting ads on Facebook. So if somebody has like created an account and they've gone through a couple of actions, like you can actually use ads to reach them in different channels and uh, try drive mm-hmm. reactivation. But I'm just not sure like if anyone has had really good success stories because it, it really caught me is like when I noticed that we we'd switched off everything, nothing changed. And then it was like, okay, like uh, mm-hmm. can we actually improve this by making changes? Because there was something and then there was nothing. And if we add something again, what is going to be the difference? But yeah, I'm keen to hear your thoughts. Like, uh, I can I can add one thought here. What what we really saw that made a difference mm-hmm. was the product led sales. So we are kind of following the you know product led go to market strategy, and as a part of it, we did uh, product led sales. So in the past, we kind of really played a lot with the outreach campaigns. You know, like reaching out to cold leads, etc. But that, you know, at that point, we realized, okay, but we have so many leads coming to us. Why don't we focus, you know, the fully uh, on the inbound uh, sales? And when we introduced the emails, uh, you know, to kind of most active trial users, etc., that really brought us uh, also conversions and demos, and the numbers went up drastically. So I would say, if I can, you know, from the whole uh, email flows that we did in the past. Uh, I would say this one was really measurable and it brought us the most success. Yeah. Reaching out to the most active users and offering help. To book for leads and stuff. Yeah, I think that makes sense as well to a large degree because then you, uh, it's more of like a customer success uh, initiative or even yes. sales like trying to close deals and really trying to give more of a handheld white glove experience. And I think that definitely exactly. there's no doubt in that uh, being. But again, I think the survivorship bias in that is that the people that are going to agree to it already the people that are pretty happy with the product and want to learn more about it or want to get a better experience. So mm-hmm. um, it, it's uh, for me as well, this is something I want to like explore a little more with the show and speak to a few people who've mm-hmm. actually seen really good success in the space. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I, also late. Yeah. yeah. Now, so, Cause no, I look at my own metrics like, as well. And when I look mm-hmm. at sort of like we use Intercom, we set up specific goals and uh, we see like the conversion rates, but if you do like split tests, you can see pretty much like the same percentage of goals achieved with the cohorts that get the emails versus mm-hmm. those that don't. And it's, it's negligible, the difference, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing here is that with these calls, uh, when you're approaching your customers from that kind of customer success point of view and not from the sales uh, shoes, the thing is that, you know, they will, and you do this uh, regular check-ins with them they'll be more willing to share with you, you know, um, the, let's say the, the negative feedback they have, you know, you'll see where, when the kind of red lights turn on, yeah. uh, they'll be more open about speaking about their issues, etc. So this is all something that I think is the most valuable when it mm-hmm. comes to these regular check-ins. For sure. Like I think with the, the check-ins and stuff, one of the things I really like was AppsFly's approach to pillage shed is, they set their customer success targets to actually uh, increase engagement for uh, their product. So uh, what they would do is they would 
before calls, they would see the clients, they would see which features they'd use, what they'd activated. And then they would just like uh, on the calls, try and encourage them to use the new features or to increase engagement with those. So using like the one-to-one conversations is sort of an adoption flow and an event-based adoption flow, if you want to call it that, to try and increase uh, actions. And they found really good success in that, in helping increase engagement all around. The other thing that you mentioned as well around the feedback, I think that's an, an excellent place to get feedback. And one of the great places as well is like just post-renewal. So if you have a customer that's just recently renewed, um, there's a big motivation then for them to be actually giving you feedback and just asking a question like, uh, what nearly stopped you from renewing today? Uh, on that call, I think can be a really, really powerful uh, tool and way to collect some good quality feedback because the user has now been committed to whatever the next length of period is already. Um, and they want to make sure the success of the product because it's uh, going to deliver them value at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. probably that's more effective, collecting feedback from those people because you're hitting well, your, your customer profile because they've stuck around, they haven't churned, uh, and they're motivated to give you the feedback as opposed to like somebody who's not been satisfied with your product, they've churned. They could have been a bad fit customer to begin with, but then collecting mm-hmm. those like that feedback from those exit surveys can give you mixed signals as well and uh, where you should be focusing your energy. Uh, exactly. And if people are, you know, now if I ask you, okay, Andrew, that sounds great. I want to collect feedback from the, you know, reactivated users, but how if they're not responding to any pop-ups or any emails? Like I cannot address enough how important I think the email copy should be and how like you need to, from the subject line to the first sentence, I think the number one goal should be about showing them that you're not a robot, you know, that you're not a bot that is sending automatically these emails. Uh, so that's why paying attention, those details, uh, I think that it can really increase the feedback rate they will get. Tell us about those emails. Like what was uh, one of your biggest learnings and how to get more people to, to attend? Yeah, so the first thing was what I just mentioned. Uh, for us, the subject line uh, has to have some kind of, you know, uh, has to be intrigued. So what we put usually is just like a question or we put like feedback at the name of the company, etc. So something that will just have them click on it. And then in the first sentence, we always put the personalization, but not personalization by, you know, just getting their uh, email company role, whatever. But rather, you know, oh, I just uh, opened my laptop and, you know, saw your name uh, in the user base, whatever. But something like that's really related to the actual why you send them uh, an email in the first place. And after that, uh, what we saw the best uh, when it comes to booking interviews was offering a voucher and stating that the call would be research only. So it's not, you know, there is no tricks, uh, basically. So it's a research only. It will take, I don't know, 30 minutes. We really want from you this, this, and that. No preparation needed, nothing. And you'll get an Amazon voucher. So it was really quite, quite uh, straightforward. And yeah, and that's what, like, if you want, I can also send you the template we used for that. Mm. Yeah, that'd be good if we can add that as notes as well later for the listeners. Uh, That's interesting. Yeah, so definitely like having really good, strong copy uh, with emails is important. And um yeah, interesting that you use Amazon vouchers as well. I think, unfortunately, at this stage, you need to sort of offer a carrot to get people to to join along and come in and give up their time as well. Yeah, um, exactly. 
we did we did a survey on LinkedIn on that. Like, what what is the uh, you know what's the reason when you decide why do you decide basically to participate in a research call? Mm-hmm. And the majority of them. So the first two options were the first one was about because of the voucher monetization reward, and the second was because uh, they want to shape the product. They want to kind of leave that trace, right? Yeah. Nice. Um, so all of this as well, there must have been like strong alignment within the organization. Like how did you bring everybody together? Because making all these changes across the board and companies, like it needs to be coming, I think, from the top down. And uh, what was sort of like the process like that internally? So you collect all this feedback, you have these insights, like, but actioning them is not always straightforward. Uh, how did that go about? Yeah, so we, I mean, it's, it's great in our company that we have a flat structure. And we are all kind of open to feedback in that sense. So there is no, you know, the strong leadership who makes all the decisions themselves. And then, you know, we are just there kind of to implement it. But rather, uh, everything should be based on the research and on the evidence. And that's the main driving force in our case. So if, you know, if I say, okay, these 10 customers said that, you know, we need to improve, uh, you know, our pricing or, I don't know, it's too expensive. Uh, then the rest of the team was kind of, okay, do we have evidence for that? Yes, here it is. And then we start implementing it. You're the one responsible. And you're, you know, if it doesn't work, then you're the one, sorry, uh, who is, you know, <laughs> who has to bear with that. But yeah. uh, on the other side, yeah. All right. You're also the one responsible for the benefits, yeah. You mentioned OKRs as well. Like, was this something that was part of an OKR initiative to really rally the team around it um, or not? It was just sort of like yeah. really, um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was. So we had oh, one OKR focused solely on the churn and I was the OKR driver for it. Yeah. So that's why, that's why like this, whole, I had to engage more with it, you know, with the project. In the past, it was more about whenever we mentioned the churn topic, we kind of just put it under the carpet and we avoid that topic at all. Yeah. But one once, you know, I mean, it's a selfish, but I think we are all a bit selfish in that case. So when I knew that I'm responsible for it, I knew that, you know, we need to put more effort to making it work. What was the driving factor to like that churn became a, a cause for OKRs, like to become an objective? Uh... Mm-hmm. Was there any so specific us, moment mm-hmm. in time, like a trigger, like somebody looked into something? Like, why did you decide then at that moment? Yes. Yeah, so what we did is that uh, we, because as I mentioned, our product uh, is a bit, it's a different in terms of uh, our target audience, etc. And and the project ended was the main churn reason people had. So that means that we really had, you know, on a monthly basis, a high number of customers living. Uh, just because their project ended. So that's when we saw, you know, we have to do something about it. And uh, once once that whole topic was introduced, in order, when we noticed actually the number of customers leaving and coming, you know, we knew that if we just increase the acquisition and we bring more people into it, we'll still have a lot of them leaving. So we needed to improve retention in order to grow. So that was the main the main reason uh, why we decided to put more effort into it. Nice. And you know, and you also know probably that retaining a customer is much cheaper in that sense than you know acquiring a new one. Is uh, it? I haven't so, heard yeah. that before. It is. No, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Cool. Uh, so, Lou, I want to make sure I ask a question, ask every guest, because I see we're running up on time as well now. Um, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now. You join a new company, channel retention is not doing great. The CEO comes and says, hey, look, you're in charge. Like, we need to turn things around. There's 90 days. Uh, what do you do? The catch is you're not going to tell me I'm going to put out an exit survey or I'm going to speak to customers and then figure out the problems and start there. You're just going to take one tactic that you saw that's been effective in the past and run with that blindly, hoping it works at this new company. What would you choose and why? What would I choose and why? Yeah. So I would definitely, in that case, I would just talk. Uh, I would talk more to the angry customers. Now, you can't talk to customers. Uh, okay, this is this talk. is the guy. You have to pick a tactic that you've seen that was working. Okay, so okay, got it. out of all the things that maybe you did recently, like what is the one thing that you found was most effective in reducing churn? Mm-hmm. So for us, uh, the most, I would say the most one was to work on the, based on the, based on the insights we, uh, we collected was to kind of improve the product accordingly. So what we did was most like see if there is any additional way you can add more value to their journey and work on that because that's i think behind everything we did that that's the core that's what helped us increase the retention mm-hmm. uh, that's like it's like see what you know people are not living because they're paying high price people are living because they're not getting enough value for that price they're currently paying yeah so this would be the the main ta- tactic i would uh, i would pick Cool. Yeah, I think definitely the, there's an axis as well put together at some point a uh, post on this in terms of like what is the cost versus value matrix. And I think yeah. you can map this out pretty nicely of like, and cost can be a value of like monetary, it can be time, and then value can be whatever it is they're trying to get out of your service. And typically you can put this in like a four by four matrix and you can look at your customers and you can see, okay, what are they paying versus what the value is? And if they're paying a lot and getting little value out of your service, they're probably the most likely to churn. If they're paying a little and they're getting lots of value, yeah. they're going to be the least likely and so forth. And it's actually an interesting exercise to run from like a data analytics perspective, which you can do with your own data. And you can see you have different companies on different plans and you can take a look at, okay, companies on the highest plan are paying the most. Like, mm-hmm. are they using the service regularly? Are they engaging? Are they not? It, it's pretty. It sounds pretty obvious, but when you do it on a, a few different like um, uh, verticals and metrics, you'll be able to really start to see some interesting patterns as well that can help you identify mm. good segments as well as like what you can do to improve. Um, nice. That's a good point. What's one, one thing more that you? Note, if I can yeah, add, go for mm-hmm. it. Sorry. Yeah. So one more note that I would love to uh, to tell everyone uh, that kind of I made also that mistake uh, at the beginning. And that's what I said about listening to the angry customers. Uh, just because when they share negative feedback with you, uh, what we did more was, what I did more was, you know, I was just thinking, oh, that's just one, you know, one user, one, I, one opinion. I don't, I, I don't care. Or, you know, it was just like, it was an isolated accident in a sense. Mm-hmm. So as a result, nothing happened. So I didn't learn anything from that. But now the thing is that whenever someone complains, uh, kind of, you know, do a list, do a list check in, okay, to which particular issue that complaint is related, you know, are they complaining about the, the whole system, about the business, about the processes, you know, uh, what is their use case, kind of each negative feedback, kind of analyze a bit, and then based on understanding of that whole concept, context behind it, you will kind of find out more from that customer and the issues they had. So... 
that's yep. definitely something I would suggest to everyone. Good to pay attention. And, and also, I think it's like typically if not everybody complains or gives good feed, positive feedback, it works both ways. So like typically, like you only get a fraction of the number of people that actually have yes. something to say about that specific issue, about that specific value that they're getting. Uh, so like paying attention to when you do get uh, these pieces of feedback is gold. And the more you can be able to quantify it, then going back and saying, okay, like we heard this, but do we see this in data or do we uh, hear this in other uh, channels from our customers? Uh, very important. Yeah, exactly. What's one thing you know today about channel retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? One thing that is, um, hmm, that's actually, I got quite a, quite a few ones. So the, the first one is basically, Hmm. Let me think about it. No, that's actually a good one. So maybe, maybe that uh, you know, just by having a customer, like when customer leaves, doesn't mean that they left. I would say for granted, and that there is a way that you know they come back uh, if you if you if you if you improve if you improve your services, your product based on what they tell you. So listening to your customers, uh, taking their feedback and iterating on proving. Very nice. When you deliver deliver something that they ask you for and, you know, they leave, uh, we saw that, like, when you follow up with them, they really have that, uh, you know, they're really kind of excited about it. And most of them actually, they did not implement another solution in the meantime, are willing to come back and take advantage. Yeah, showing that you care and have empathy towards them as well. Exactly. So, Lucas, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. Is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Anything they should be aware of or how to keep up to speed with your work? Yeah, sure. So, you can definitely add me on LinkedIn. Uh, we can, I'm super happy to talk to other people. Uh, actually, in free time, I do discuss uh, different creative ideas and business issues uh, companies have. So, if you have anything you want to share with or talk with, just uh, add me on LinkedIn. And yeah. And I hope to meet you there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining today. It's been a pleasure chatting to you and learning from you. And I uh, wish you best of luck now going forward and uh, the new journey you started with the startup as well. Thank you, Andrew, so much. And I hope that, yeah, you'll have a lot of success with this podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.